Welcome back to the Teach for the Heart podcast, where we tackle teaching challenges from a biblical perspective. Why are we here? Because we don't believe that our spiritual walk and teaching profession should exist in two separate domains. Rather, the hope we have in Christ should change how we approach everything, not just at home, but at school as well. So join us as we explore both the spiritual and practical sides of key teaching challenges, integrating them together so we can succeed at teaching, glorify God, and make a lasting difference in our students' hearts and lives. Well, in this series, we've been talking about common teacher fears and how to overcome them. And as you're thinking about this upcoming school year or even already heading back to school, one of the common fears that you might be facing is student apathy. In other words, um, what do we do if students are apathetic, they're not motivated, they don't want to learn? And as I thought about this fear, I knew there was no one better to help us with this than Dave Stewart Jr. So I'm going to have him on today and share with you a wonderful conversation with Dave. This one is going to break our normal pattern that we've had this series for dealing with fears, um, but I think you will really enjoy this conversation. So we'll dive right into that right now. So I'm here today with Dave Stewart. Thank you so much, Dave, for being here with us today. Oh, my goodness. My great pleasure, Linda. It's good to be with you this morning. And this podcast series that we're doing has been all about common teacher fears, things that we're worried about, apprehensive in this upcoming school year, whether you've started or not. And when I was working on the series, I thought, oh, my goodness, I saw Dave has a brand new book out. And I said, this is perfect. So, Dave, I believe your new book is called The Will to Learn. Cultivating student motivation without losing your own. Is that right? That's right. Yeah, it is. It's um, just out in May. So at the time of this recording, uh, there's going to be still going to have that new book smell to it. Yes. And we'll link to it and make sure that you can easily get it. You can find it on. I know it's on Amazon. Is it probably pretty much wherever? Yeah. Okay. So definitely yeah. check it out on Amazon. We'll link to it at teachfortheheart.com slash fears. Um, so let's dive in. Dave, what would you say to a teacher who's either dealing with student apathy or they're worried about you know yeah. student apathy and they want to better motivate their, their students? This book really is for them, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, Linda. Um, and I like that you that you're framing this in the in the sense of a fear because um, it, that, that's a really scary thing to be a teacher who's wanting to bring a good to students, wanting to bless them with a chance to learn about something, and then only to encounter a student who really doesn't want that, really, in fact, uh, feels badly in their spirit about having to do math or physical education or English today. Um, so so this this book is meant to help us to do something about that very real pain that students feel when they're demotivated and the very real pain that teachers feel when uh, our students are demotivated. Yes. So I'm glad you said that because you're right. It can be, it can be so difficult. It's a very real thing that I know is even increasingly more and more, more and more challenging for teachers. So in your book, you talk about five key beliefs. And before we get into those specifics, can you explain why students' beliefs matter? Like, why? Yeah. Why start there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a this is a, a an idea that a Christian educator is going to probably have an easier time initially latching onto um, than someone who comes from a more secular background, just because um, you know it's it's 
when, when we talk about belief, we're talking about something that all different types of traditions have known as important over the millennia. Uh, but it's it's tricky for us as people who think of humans mostly as brains, you know, brains on sticks. Belief is, I describe it as knowledge that you hold in the center of your being. It's stuff that you know uh, so deeply that you may not even think about it. So like um, an example I use in the book is is how we relate to chairs. We don't have to sit there and wonder about sitting in a chair. If we see a chair and it's available, then we will just sit in it because we we believe that chairs are to be trusted. So in a school setting, what we're trying to do when we approach motivation from this five key beliefs angle is help young people to believe um, essentially that that they have good teachers, that school is worth doing, that um, they can improve, that effort is desirable, and that they fit. Their identity fits in this place. So um, these five beliefs of credibility, value, effort, efficacy, and belonging are actually woven throughout our, our most current research on how human beings perform optimally and perform optimally, but also perform happily, perform in a, in a manner that's that looks like flourishing, not gr- gritting your teeth and white knuckling uh, your way. Because, you know, that's that type of effort, that type of motivation it can get you a little bit of the ways down the road, but it's it's uh, it's not a long term approach to motivation. So that's really not what we're interested in when we talk about belief. Yeah. So let me make sure I'm understanding this right. It's this is this approach is it's not that we don't use any tactics, but it's yeah. rather than choosing random like um, I heard about this tactic, I heard about that tactic. Mm-hmm. Our goal is to recognize any of these tactics or things that we do. Our the goal is to yeah. see are we are we helping our students believe these things they need to believe? Are we supporting that belief? Are we taking away from that belief rather than just throwing tactics at them and just hoping that they stick? Yes, that's that's a great that's a great uh, way to think about this. I like to ask teachers in my live audiences, hey, share something with the person next to you that works for student motivation. Because if you've been doing this job for a day, you know something that helps young people to care about a given task or endeavor. Um, and so then we'll, we'll share out and we'll develop these long lists of strategies that we know work. We've seen them work. And then what I like to say to, to audiences is that, that the, the last thing that anyone needs in education is more ideas, more tips, tactics, strategies, and hacks for student motivation. Um, what we lack is clarity around how the heck it works. Mm. How does the student part work? And uh, an analogy I like to use in the book is this analogy of cultivating a garden. So there are strategies in the book. In fact, there's 10. I've, uh, earlier drafts had like 50 to 60 that I knew worked really well, high bang for your buck. And I threw out those earlier drafts and I said, nope, that's too much. So there's just there's just 10 strategies, and uh, each of those is targeting belief cultivation. So, um, yeah, it's it's kind of like if you Google on the internet for a strategy to, uh, to motivate students, it's like going to the grocery store and buying some produce. But what we're trying to do with this book is teach you how to actually make your own garden mm. and enjoy that process. I love that. 
So if someone's not at all, I know if they, if people have followed you for a while, they're familiar with these five core beliefs, but for someone that's yeah. never heard of these, can you give us an overview of mm-hmm. like just a quick overview of each of the five beliefs that are important yeah. for students to have? Yeah. I want listeners to picture, uh, we're going to build a pyramid. So the bottom, um, up to the, up to the tip top. All right. So the bottom base belief is credibility. This is when a young person thinks that their teacher is good at their job. Um, and so credibility is high on John Hattie's meta-analytical work and visible learning. And it's just something that, again, transcends cultures that human beings like to work for people who they believe are credible. So that's, that's your foundational layer. And the good news with that one is if you can only pick one belief, you pick credibility and you have huge influence on your credibility with an individual student. There's things that you can do, even with a student who seems to really, really resent you today, which, by the way, everyone encounters over the course of a school year. Um, there, there are things that there are things that you can do that, that will change that. Next layer of the pyramid is value. So the value belief is interesting because there's so many different ways that a human can come to value a task or a topic. Um, one might find it interesting. Another might find it fun. Another might like it because it helps them to compete, compete with their peers or something. Um, and others may like it because it's beautiful or meaningful, taps them into a sense of what it means to be human. So the the trick then we have with value is how do you how do you cultivate something that is so so diversely arrived at? Um, and basically what what I argue in that section is you paint with all the colors of value. You as a teacher, you want to be modeling for students the many, many, many ways there are to value an education and to value your class specifically. The next layer is actually a, a twofer. There's two here. They're tied together. Effort and efficacy belief. Those are the third and fourth of the five key beliefs. Um, they, they really, really tie together. I, I use a cycle kind of diagram to show this in the book, but um, the effort belief is just the belief that effort is something that's good, something that'll pay off, something that is desirable. And that so you know, more common way of referring to this is growth mindset, but I don't use the term growth mindset in the book just because there's so much confusion it and mis- misapplication of that term in education today. Um, and then efficacy is the belief that you can succeed. The belief that at this task, this essay, this warm-up assignment, um, this course, this whole endeavor called education, you can be successful. And then finally, at the tip top of the pyramid, you have belonging. And this is this is this is the idea that I fit here. People like me do work like this. I'm. It's not weird that I'm trying in math class, you know that that actually lines up with who I am. And so the nice thing about belonging belief is that, in much of our, you know, teacher book literature, there's we we treat the belonging belief like that's the thing that you focus on first. That's the fundamental thing, but it's a really hard thing to influence. And so what I find actually is if you treat all these other bottom layers of the pyramid first, um, belonging will often be there Mm. because who doesn't want to align their identity with a place where there's a good educator, where the work is valuable, where they can improve and succeed. Like human beings long for that. And so you will often find students identifying with your class if you pay really close attention to those bottom four beliefs. 
Okay, that was that was so good. I love what you said about the end about, you know, belonging is important, but yeah. trying to start there is very difficult. These things yeah. support that and they're a lot more easily influenced. And I hope you guys are, are catching what Dave's saying here because it's so it, it is when I, the more I I talk to you David here I'm like this is this is so perfect and it fits so well. It, it makes so much sense, right? If a student is you know, feeling like if their belief internally, whether they'd say it or not, is I can't do this. It doesn't yeah. matter how much I try. It doesn't work. Or, you know, this is this is a waste of time. Of course, they're not going to be motivated. <laughs> but if they right. if they realize, yeah, I, I, I worked hard and I and I'm doing this, I'm getting better and and I can see how this helps me, then, of course, they're going to be motivated. I mm-hmm. mean, it is it is common sense when you think about it, but we we just don't often think about it this way. <laughs> And notice how notice how freeing what you just said is. I don't have to be resentful toward a student when they're demotivated mm. and think that way. I can actually say, "Oh, it's a, it's just how I would respond." It, yeah, that's just how I do respond in a situation where I fail repeatedly despite hard effort. Like, yes, I become demotivated because that's that's painful. And so, how can I how can I start to um, intervene? in that place where you're consistently trying but not succeeding okay so i can analyze what is trying looking like for you are there better ways that we could have you trying um what is success even in your mind being defined as i can i can intervene there and talk to you about that so yeah this just helps us to humanize those students who are looking at us with the face of you know deep apathy and because you know, I, I I fall prey to it too. It, it's so easy to take that personal, yeah. And if and to feel like, oh man, this kid is like insulting me. Like they don't they find me insufficient. Uh, but I, I I argue that demotivation, unless it's coming from you not being credible, is is really not personal. It's it's just you know it's, it's like weeds in a garden. They're not personal. They're just a thing that you have to know what to do about as a gardener. Yes, that yes, right. <laughs> I might be annoyed with the weed, but it's not it's just there. I love that. Yeah. Um <laughs> So so let's if you wouldn't mind, can you give us just maybe one or two a little teaser of some of the strategies yeah. that you do share in your book uh to give us a few examples of how do we then go about cultivating um mm. these beliefs and helping students shed the opposite beliefs if they you know they don't believe you're credible yeah. they don't believe they can do that what are some things yeah. that we can do well a real quick one that i won't expound upon because it's super googleable for influencing credibility and, and starting to see things change quickly in the realm of credibility is is tracking moments of genuine connection so if folks just google dave stewart moments of genuine connection you'll you'll see videos and articles where i've written about this but um, it's a strategy that's uh, sort of like breathtakingly, s- stupidly simple. Um, I I kind of cringe when I'm about to introduce it to to a, a, an audience of colleagues because I can just feel like you're saying something so obvious. But it's it's in my anecdotal polling of audiences something that like only five percent of us do. So there, teaser. Go go search on the internet for that one. Um, the stuff that is not as accessible on the internet, but is in the book, uh, one strategy for influencing efficacy that works super well is define success wisely, early, often. 
define success wisely early often. And what I argue with this strategy is that many students struggle with efficacy because success is left undefined. Uh, it's left undefined by the teacher and it's left undefined by themselves. And you, you need both. Okay, so teacher generated definitions of success are super important for efficacy to develop. And student generated definitions of success are very important. So, um, you know, teacher generated definitions of success need to be quite sophisticated because every teacher has a broad range of ability levels and preparedness of students. So if you define success as, you know, one of my classes is an AP class for ninth graders. If I define success as everyone passing the test, and, and my class is open enrollment, so I fill it up no matter, like, it, it's not like you got to pass a gateway to get in, really. Like, it, I, I fill every seat. So I've got students who come in here as first day of high school kids, and they've, they've no ability of, you know, studying, like, no experience with studying. Uh, they, they may have reading difficulties. So if I define success for that kid as, you know, getting a three or better on this AP test, well, I've, I've casted a vision for success here that right now they can't attain. So, so therefore, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of responsible at that point for their demotivation in the realm of efficacy because I'm, you know, it's like, it's like telling someone, hey, jump over that house over there. Like, that's success. Like, that's not possible. Um, so, so, so a word that I like to use is mastery. Um, a word that a, a principal that I respect in Utah used to use is toward, toward. Um, and, and the idea here is casting a vision for students of we're growing toward mastery. Everyone needs to be moving toward deeper levels of expertise, deeper um, levels of connection with the content, a, a broader and broader data set in your mind of stuff that you know about math or science or social studies or phys ed or health. Um, these, these types of language of, um, you know, what Simon Sinek would call the, the infinite game. You really want to cast your class, your discipline, school as an infinite game, a game where, um, you know, it's not about getting an A, that's a finite game. It's about growing toward mastery. And there are Nobel Prize winners in chemistry uh, this year who will, after they win the Nobel Prize, go right back to work. Because even though they've won the highest prize in their field, um, they're totally aware of how much more there is left to learn. Um, so so this, this idea of defining CES wisely, um, super, super high yield. And then early. So when should I start, Dave? Tomorrow. Like, it, and this can be just a, a start of class, 30-second little mini speech. Okay, it could be a little writing activity that you have them do to help them to think a bit more about the definition of success. Um, but, but, but really, start tomorrow. So define success wisely, early, and often. Mm -hmm. Often. Meaning that we teachers, it's, am it's amazing how we make this mistake because we're faced every day with how it doesn't work. We think that if we said something one time or five times, well, how, how could you forget? I don't know, because I'm receiving like a tens of thousands of stimuli per day. And you're just like giving me one of them with your little definition of success. So, you know, that's how I forgot. So, so you really have to oversaturate the airwaves 
with the definition of success. It has to feel like you, the person creating the messages, like almost like it's all you ever talk about. You know, you're, you're kind of annoying yourself. And you'll know that you're doing this enough when you start to see some kids roll your eyes when you launch into your little 15 second spiel for the 900th time this month about what success is. Now, notice I said it's a 15 second spiel because your job isn't to be a motivational speaker. Your job, though, is to be explicit about what success is. It is to remind students, to give them signals that, that sort of reorient them and say, oh, yeah, that's right. That's the mountain that I'm climbing in this class. So when they start rolling your eyes, you're actually doing a good job. Yes. Get, get the eye roll. But oh, you said so many great things there. Um, we are defining success not as, you know, did you get a certain grade, but growing. And that's something we can all yeah. attain. And that's an exciting goal. And and I love doing it often. And just in quick yeah. snippets, just continual. Because you're so right. When you think back on, you know, those things like this, you can you can remember like this teacher always said this. Things that are repeated yes. over and over are are what gets into our heart and that we remember and that we're like, yes, yeah. um, you're right. That doesn't happen on the first or the third or probably even the eighth time. It's it really no. is just that. <laughs> and I do. Th you're right. We don't we don't always recognize that value of that constant and but short repetition. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, when you're keeping it short, you know that you're not boring anyone, right? Because, I mean, it's not like you should always celebrate when kids roll their eyes. Because if you're up there just droning on for 10 minutes every yes. day, like, and they roll their eyes, like, no, now they're rolling your eyes because you're actually annoying, <laughs> you know? Like, you know, in a bad way, like, you you have to shorten it up, got to tighten it a little bit, you know? You know, and so so I think if you, if you practice being sensitive to what their body language means, you'll start to differentiate like, oh, that's an eye roll that actually as a teacher you want because they're like, oh, here he goes again, you know, <laughs> versus no, that's a bitter eye roll because maybe I'm talking too much. <laughs> yes. An important self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So this has been so great. I wish we could talk to you forever, but I know you have so many amazing things in your book and you've shared a little bit, but can you just give yeah. really quick, like a, tell people what else is in your book um, and what they can expect to find in it? Because that's definitely going to be our takeaway is get Dave's book, go deeper yeah. in this because it's awesome. Yeah. And, and I, I, I really only write books that I, that I feel confident I can be talking about in 10 years that I think are still going to be useful. So, so this book is meant to be timeless. Um, it's not it's not the latest and greatest. There are those 10 strategies that the book treats in depth with practical examples. I've chosen the, the top 10 based on all my research and experience. Um, in the back of the book, there's a really nice feature where um, the common teacher hangups that I treat in sidebars throughout the book are listed. And, um, and I know that you all can't see this, but like, you know, there's like 25 different common teacher hangups that I treat just sort of as asides in the book. And those are really, really, really practical things. Like, you know, my moments of genuine connection with students are awkward. Um, this student says that they tried, but they did it. Like I, I took all those from actual questions that teachers have said to me. And I try to, you know, unpack like what assumptions that we're making. Cause mm -hmm. sometimes, you know, we, we're just making an assumption that's false. Like the student says they tried and they didn't, there may be an assumption in there that, you are seeing more than you're seeing. 
so so yeah it's 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 just i think it's pretty like not exhaustingly jam-packed with value so check it out yes all right definitely check out this book and once again the name is the will to learn cultivating student motivation without losing your, your own by dave stewart Dave, thank you so much for being here. Any just final words of advice or encouragement for teachers in this area? I would I would just say, y'all, that this is this is the best possible calling that you can have. So if you're in education right now, this year, I believe that you're called to it. I'm called to it. Whatever comes after this year, like let it let it be. Let's worry about this year and let's really look to uh, work hard and enjoy the process. We're meant to enjoy it, not just to do it. Yeah. Thank you so much, Dave. We really appreciate it. Super helpful. I hope you guys enjoyed this conversation with Dave. I know I did, and I know you'll want to check out his book. You can get the link to his book as well as everything else um, in the blog post for this series at teachfortheheart.com slash fears. I also want to let you know that Dave is going to be back at the Rise Up Summit talking more about student motivation. You will certainly not want to miss that session. It'll be um, a little more in-depth than we had time to go through here. Um, So make sure you join us. The Rise Up Summit is completely free to attend the weekend of the event. And Dave is going to be one of our featured speakers this year. So go to riseupchristianeducators.com. That's riseupchristianeducators.com. Grab your free ticket and we'll see you again there. Now, before we go, I do want to give you just a moment to pray. So let's take just a moment and bring our thoughts to the Lord. Father, we thank you that you are with us and with our students every day in and out of the classroom. Teacher, take a moment to just thank God for being with you always. Now share with him any fears or thoughts you have around student apathy and motivation. And finally, ask God to give you wisdom and guidance this year to be able to inspire your students and motivate them to learn and succeed. We thank you, Father, that you're with us and working in us and through us. Pray for wisdom and guidance and patience and peace for each teacher listening through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. All right. Well, thank you again for being here. I hope you'll join us next week. We've just got a few more episodes left in this series. Next week, we're going to talk about the fear of what if I have to work way too many hours again? Is it possible to be a good teacher without it taking over my entire life? So I can't wait to dive into that fear with you next week. Once again, this entire series is at teachfortheheart.com slash fears. You can go over there and see all the episodes, the upcoming episodes, as well as any links and notes, including the link to Dave's book. Thank you guys so much for being here. Can't wait to speak with you again soon. In the meantime, remember, teacher, God is at work in you and through you, and he's using you to make a difference. Keep your eyes on him and teach for the hearts.